heights to the depths of the sea. And so now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers, both, notice, listening to them and also asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. I wonder what he was questioning them about. Did Jesus begin preparing them, talking about the Old Testament scriptures concerning the Messiah? Did he ask them what the requirements were for the Messiah? Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher, Rob Kellogg. Today, Pastor Rob takes us to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 39 through 52, which is the only scripture that gives us insight of Jesus in his teenage years. Jesus was lost by Mary and Joseph during a visit to Jerusalem during the Passover season. For three days, a 12-year-old Jesus discussed God's word and astonished his listeners with his understanding and answers. In that day, there was nothing more natural than a son taking up his father's business. Jesus did follow Joseph's footsteps as a carpenter, but his actions here showed that he was at least beginning to understand his unique relationship to God the Father. Now here's Pastor Rob. We don't have time today. But in Leviticus 12, it tells us that she is to be purified for uh, uh, what is it, uh, 32 days or 33 days. So after Jesus is born, eight days later, he gets circumcised in the temple, and that's what happened. And then another, you know, going forward, you know, 33 days, then she comes and they dedicate Jesus at the temple. And she offers her offering of turtle doves. They were poor, and they, didn't, they couldn't offer a sheep or a goat. They had to offer turtle doves or two young pigeons. That's how poor Mary and Joseph were, because that was their offering that they offered. And so verse 40, And the child grew, notice, and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Notice that Jesus grew like any other young Jewish young male. He grew in stature and wisdom. Even though he was 100% God, he was also 100% man. And it's important that Jesus, the last Adam, it's important that he defeated Satan in his humanity and not in his deity. That's why the Bible calls him the last Adam, because certainly he could have defeated him in his deity, but he came as a representative of us, showing as the perfect man that he could deny himself and submit himself to the Lord and resist those things that the devil would bring upon him and ultimately pay the price for our sins. In fact, Hebrews tells us, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, if I was tempted and I was Jesus, I would fall flat on my face, but not Jesus. He willfully submitted his life to his Father. In Romans 8, it tells us, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, that the righteousness, 
uh, righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so Jesus defeated Satan in his humanity, and it needed to be so. And then he could pay the price for us as God on the cross. But notice verse 41, it says, But his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And we know that the Passover was one of three feasts that all Jewish males were to attend every year. Passover was one of them, coupled with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, the Feast of Pentecost, and also the Feast of Tabernacles. This means that Jesus, that this was his twelfth time going up to Jerusalem with his parents to celebrate the Passover. And they would travel with their relatives and other members and their acquaintances, and they would travel in caravans. And they did that for a multitude of reasons. Number one, they could keep an eye on each other, but there were robbers along the road. And that road from Nazareth all the way down uh, to Jerusalem was a treacherous path. And there were robbers along the way. So having a group of people insulated you from robbery and all these other things. But they did it as families. Together they went up. And so Jesus now, this is his 12th Passover, think of it. His 12th Passover. He knew the city. He knew the reason for the feast. He knew those who were genuine in their worship. He also knew those who were phonies. At 12 years old, the Lord was giving him wisdom. As the Son of God, he had wisdom. And it says, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem. Because wherever you go in Israel, whenever you go up to Jerusalem, you're going up. Because it's on a mountain range. Moriah is a mountain range. And Jerusalem is a city on top of that mountain range. So you're always going up. And when they had finished the days, it was a seven-day feast, so they were there at least for seven days, that as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. And I, I love this. It's just an interesting thing as you look into specific words. And I would encourage you to do that. Get a concordance and look up these words in their original language. And you can do that with a Strong's Concordance. Maybe sometime we'll talk about how to go about that. Maybe have like a Bible study kind of thing for a couple Sundays on how to study the Bible. But uh, this word lingered is really interesting because it, it's kind of interesting. Uh, it's hypomeno, which means to undergo or endure or bear a trial. It speaks of fortitude and perseverance and even suffering. So Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, but the word has a connotation to it that, that, that is really interesting. I mean, did he feel forsaken by his parents? Knowing that they had left him, was he, you know, what was he feeling? Did, did he feel forsaken? Where did he stay at night? Think about it. Jerusalem is packed with people. Where did he stay at night? Who fed him? Did he eat at all? Maybe he fasted for those three days. We don't know as a young person. As a 12-year-old boy, he's probably eating them out of house and home. And probably two gallons of milk every day. Were people speaking behind his back? I wonder. These are just thoughts. Because they knew that this one... Believe me, there was a lot of noise about Jesus and Mary and Joseph, and they're like, yeah, right, she had a virgin birth. <laughs> yeah, we believe that, right? So now Jesus is there by himself in the temple, and you've got to believe that people are talking. 
Is that the one? Is that the one? Is that the illegitimate son? And so Jesus, is it possible that this word, again, I think of this word, he lingered behind. Was he enduring some of these things? Were there people talking behind his back, kind of looking down upon him as if he's some kind of bastard son? It's possible, but we don't know for sure. But notice verse 44, But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. And so when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph, you know, traveling along? Did anybody see Home Alone? Remember when uh, the, the husband and wife are on the plane, they're going to Paris, and the, the mom is just feeling there's just something not quite right. And all of a sudden, Kevin! Right? They left their son back in, in the United States, and they're somewhere over the Atlantic flying. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph at some point? They're looking around. They looked at, it, looked at each other and says, We lost God! I mean, think of that. God entrusted Jesus into their care, telling him what, who he was going to be, the Savior of the world, the Messiah. And can you imagine the, the utter horror at that moment when they realized he was not with the group because the kids would all be hanging out and they'd be probably you know riding the camels or whatever and doing stuff and, and, and Mary and Joseph are like, ah, the kids are having fun, let's just go. And so they're on their way and they do their thing. They get a, a, a day out and they're like, um, where's, where's Joshua? And they start looking around, they can't find him. They lost God. <laughs> and can you imagine the horror? Have you, parents, have you had that moment when you've been in a public place? We have a couple times, and it's the most horrifying thing in the world to have your child in a very busy public place, and all of a sudden they slip off and you can't find them. And you're frantic. You're turned white. You know, you're getting on the intercom, you know, and you're, you know, <laughs> it's a horrifying experience. So Mary and Joseph are naturally very agitated. And so now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers, both, notice, listening to them and also asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. I wonder what he was questioning them about. Did Jesus begin preparing them, talking about the Old Testament scriptures concerning the Messiah? Did he ask them what the requirements were for the Messiah? We don't know, but I know this. I am sure Jesus did not waste his time or their time. Whatever he spoke, whatever he was angling, it was going to be revealing something. He wasn't there just to ask questions. I often wonder if he was making them accountable for what was going to happen when he would finally come into his ministry at 30 years of age and finally begin his teaching ministry. I wonder if he was provoking them and asking them, well, who, where should the Messiah come from? And the guy with the law would come up, well, he should come from Judea, from a town of Bethlehem, from Micah 5.2, and he should be a son of David. Oh, really? That's really interesting. Yeah. Well, where are you from, young man? Uh, I'm from, uh, I'm, I'm from uh, Bethlehem. I'm from a son of David. Yeah. Could it be you? Makes you wonder what they were talking about. Perhaps he was drawing them out. 
rehearsing before them the scriptures concerning himself, not revealing himself to them yet, but drawing them out. And they certainly were intrigued by this little man, this young man, excuse me, but little did they know at the Passover that the Passover lamb who was typified in Exodus chapter 12, who was prefigured in Exodus chapter 12, was standing right before them, the living lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world, was standing right before them, and yet they did not know it. At the Feast of the Passover, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't have arranged this any better. On the Feast of the Passover, he's talking to the big shots. And he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the Passover Lamb. He is the firstborn He fit the type of the Passover lamb in Exodus 12 specifically. And here he was before them and they didn't even know it. And and about 20 to 21 years later from this point when he's 12 years old, Jesus would come back to Jerusalem and he would say this in Matthew 23 verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. And he's pointing toward the temple. Your house, your house. It's supposed to be my house. It's supposed to be the house of God the Father, but you have made it a den of thieves. It is a a house of thievery and all uncleanness. It's your house now. And your house will be left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall not see me anymore until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's interesting that as he is sitting there in the midst of the lawyers, the teachers, listening, asking them questions, that 700 years prior to that, the Lord, through the prophet Isaiah, was addressing the same people in Jerusalem. In Isaiah chapter 1, what does it say? It says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos. which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So Isaiah is seeing this vision, and it's concerning Judah and Jerusalem. 700 years prior to this moment when Jesus is listening and questioning them. And they're probably thinking to themselves, well, who's this little upstart? But boy, he's got some, he really packs a punch. He's telling us things, and how is he no? I mean, they were astonished. They were stumbled by his understanding. And of course, God, is, he's almighty God in the flesh. So he's, he, knows, he knows he wrote the word that they're talking about. He inspired the very word that they're talking about. But in Isaiah 11, so God is speaking to the same people in Judah and Jerusalem. And what does he say to them? Bring no more your sacrifices. And this is uh, beginning in verse 13. No more your sacrifices. Your incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and all the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. God was fed up with Even uh, back then, he was fed up with the way that they had taken their relationship with God 
and they had made it into something legalistic and ritualistic, and they removed God from the picture, and now it was all about them and what they could get. And it was very selfishly motivated, and God is judging and basically using Isaiah to point a finger at them at you know 700 years prior to that moment that Jesus is there. And, and we're going to get to the interesting thing here in just a minute. But God is like, you trouble me. I am weary of bearing them. You spread out your hands. I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourself. Make yourself clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuce, re- rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. And here we get to the verse. <laughs> Come. Now, and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Do you realize how interesting this is? 700 years before Jesus is there in front of them, God says, let's reason together. And it just happens to be on the Passover, when the Passover lamb would be shed, his blood would be shed, and that would be on the lentil of the doorpost. So we're talking about the blood covering everything, and God is sharing that 700 years prior, and now Jesus is there on the Passover, and now he's reasoning with them. He's reasoning with them in the Scripture, and they are completely astonished. And so, verse 48, when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? We've been looking for you for three days. Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. You might want to underline the word father there, and then underline it in verse 49 as well. You'll see the word father there. And he said to them, Jesus said to Mary and Joseph, Why did you seek me? Did you know that I must be about my father's business? Now underline that word. It's the Greek word pater, or pater. It means father. But notice that in verse 48, it's lowercase. And in verse 49, it's uppercase. Even the translators knew that when Jesus said, I must be about my father's business, it wasn't about, it wasn't about Joseph's business. Jesus wasn't there to, uh, you know, to work up some kind of uh, deals with people to come up to Nazareth to, for Joseph's carpentry business. He wasn't there handing out business cards. It wasn't about Joseph's business. It was about his father in heaven's business. And all the English translations have that capitalized in verse 49. To make the distinction, the word is the same, but the distinction is very clear that it's not about Joseph, it's about Jesus' real Father, God the Father. I love that. And Jesus, even in his early ministry, when he became 30, around 30 years of age, what did he do? One of the first things he did when he, when he came into his uh, ministry at 30 years of age, he cleansed the temple. And what did he say in John chapter 2, verse 16? He says, he, 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 took, uh, he went into and he cleansed the temple. And he says, do not make my father's house, my father's house, a house of merchandise. And of course, he's speaking of God the Father there. But did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Again, I believe that Jesus didn't waste anybody's time here. There was a reason he stayed behind and listened. And I'm sure that 
After this encounter, Jesus was a marked man. The religious leaders now knew who he was, and they're waiting for him the next time he comes because they're intrigued, they're wondering what's going on with this young man. And maybe Jesus sparred with them other times. We don't really know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But Jesus' priorities now were becoming clear as he got older, as he became unaware of what God's role for him was. And what was his role? What was his business what was Jesus' business? Certainly the main thing was that he was, to bo- he was born to die to pay the price for your sin and mine and to offer salvation through his blood on the cross for those who believe in him. That was the main reason that Jesus came, was he was born to die for our sins. But also, Jesus, in, in Luke chapter 4, spoke this. Remember, he was in Nazareth. We, when we go to Israel, we actually went to the synagogue where Jesus spoke these very words. The very floor, the, the, unfortunately, the floor is the only thing that was, that was there that was uh, in Jesus' day. Everything around it had been rebuilt. But Jesus, in that Nazareth synagogue, he said he, he pulled out the scroll as a, as a young man would do or at, at that time when he was reading. And he opened up to Isaiah 61. And what was the... Uh, message there. And it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Notice this was also Jesus's role or his business of his father to preach the gospel to the poor. And he was sent, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and also to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, not only physically, but spiritually removing blindness from people that they might understand spiritually what was happening, giving them light and also to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's why Jesus came. That was Jesus' business. That was the Father's... That's, he was about the Father's business doing those things. But are we about our Father's business? It's a good question to ask. It's very easy for us to try and live the American dream. And there's nothing wrong with the American dream. But is your life the Lord Jesus, or is Jesus just part of your life? The one speaks of total devotion, and the other just speaks of fitting Christ in here and there when it's convenient for me. And I want to encourage you this morning to not allow your relationship with Christ to be compartmentalized. We do that easily because we go to work and we, we, we're a certain person at work, we're a different person at home, we're a different person at church, and you know, God wants us to be the same wherever we go. We can't compartmentalize and say, well, uh, I'm a Christian at home and I'm a Christian at, at, at church, but when I go to work, I'm still laughing at the funny things on the walls and you know, sending the dirty jokes and I do my own thing there. But you know, do you understand, as a Christian, your life is, should be consistent, Wherever you go, you should be the same. You should be continually being conformed to God's will. And if I am fitting God in only in the holes of my life, then I'm compartmentalizing him. But I need to let him be my life instead of having him be be just a part of my life. And how do I do that? That means that wherever I go, I'm always thinking about the people that God loves. 
All the people that you work with or have worked with, the people that you interface with, your own family, your friends, the people you see at Wegmans, all these people need to hear. And if Christ is my life, then I'm going to speak of him. If he's not part of my life, and only when it's convenient for me do I bring him along, then my life is compartmentalized. And if you find yourself in that place, it's easy to turn. The first thing you have to do is acknowledge that it's happening. And say, Lord, what's wrong with me? That's the end of our lesson for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the Gospel of Matthew. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.